Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. The following episode is being sponsored by a lovely survivor named Amy in honor of being 11 years free from her abuser. Thank you so much, Amy, for making this episode possible for our listeners. Welcome to episode 62 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have a lesson for you from a blog post that I wrote a couple of years ago called Seven Predictable Things Your Emotional Abuser Does when you set boundaries. So I had originally written a couple of articles that focused on the abuse target and the stages of healing that she goes through, as well as the 10 steps that she has to take to get out of the pit of abuse hell. But today we're going to focus on the emotional abuser and the predictable things he does when his target begins to wake up and set enforceable boundaries. We have to start with the abuse cycle. This circle, think about a circle that goes around and around, and both partners are participating in the never ending spin. Now, one side of the circle is the good side, and by the way, it's not really good, but it's when things seem to be going well. The abuse target is on her best behavior, trying not to rock the boat. Um, She's trying not to need him to come through in any way. Um, She's trying to placate and manage his emotions, and she is largely being successful in that particular moment. The other side of the abuse circle is the bad side, and that's when things are falling apart. So the abuse target might need something, or she may have had a bad day, or she may have given her abuser some feedback that he didn't like, and the emotional abuser will attack her with shaming, blaming, Denial, accusation, minimizing, mutualizing, maybe diverting um, words and behaviors. So remember now that if you have a healthy relationship, there is no abuse cycle going on. There's no good and bad side. It's not a circle. It actually looks more like a line with two people that are progressing forward side by side always able to work through conflict with respect and empathy for one another. That's a healthy relationship. So if you ever have felt like, oh my word, we just keep going in the same circles over and over again, you know that your relationship is not healthy. Now, that cycle is going to continue to spin in an abusive relationship until one partner makes a choice to do things differently. And I can tell you right now that the partner that makes that choice is not going to be the abuser. The abuser is the one who keeps making it spin around in circles. So that means that the abuse target is going to have to make a breakout attempt. This is when she asserts the truth of who she is. She actually shows up in the relationship as who she is and her own separate self and what she believes. She she defines herself rather than allowing her emotionally or spiritually abusive partner to define who she is. And then she sets a healthy boundary that causes her to step outside of the abuse cycle. Now, keep in mind that a boundary is is when you state 
A boundary violation is when someone comes into your space, your who the space of who you are. It's your sphere of what you are responsible for, which is basically yourself. And they come into that space and they try to control you. That's a boundary violation. Um, so what you can do then is you set a boundary by stating what you will and will not tolerate, and then also stating the consequence that you will enforce if if your request is not respected, if your boundary is not respected. So setting boundaries at first, especially with an abuser, is very difficult and challenging because you know instinctively that if you say no to them or you set a boundary or you show up, that there's going to be some kickback. Um, So I'm going to give you an example here. Let's say that he tells you that you can't spend the money that you're earning from your new job without asking his permission. And that you have to put all of that money into an account that only he controls. So that's actually a boundary violation because it's stepping over into your, you know, you you get to decide how you spend the money that you are earning. And you can certainly decide, like in a healthy relationship, you would both make those decisions together about how you spend that money and how you save that money. Um, I'm in a healthy relationship right now. I'm in, I'm remarried, and I make a different income than my partner. My partner, my husband, does, and we have talked about those things together. I have my own separate account. I have my own separate savings account. We um, contribute mutually in a very respectful and honoring way to our our needs that we have as a family. But we also have control over our own money. Um, So let's see. So let's say that he says that she could say, this is one way she could set a boundary. She could say, "Um, I'm an adult woman earning money. And so I'm going to make adult decisions on my own about how I spend that money. Now we can share it and discuss our budget together like two adults, but I will not be asking permission to spend my money on something that I need for myself or for the family or for the household. And then she can walk away because she doesn't really need to listen to what comes out next. Here's what the response is usually going to be. This is called predictable thing number one. The emotional abuser is going to growl and bark and have a temper tantrum. I mean, how dare his little ding-dong wifey define her own self? Why, that's his job as the head of the home, the king of the hill, the grand poobah. So he's going to bark and growl and stomp his feet and fling accusations and a few choice Bible verses at her back as she makes her exit. He's not a happy camper, and he's going to work really hard to make sure that his target emotionally pays for stepping outside his definition of who she is. Now, the abuse target has one of two choices here. First of all, she could get back into her place in the circle of abuse and bring equilibrium back into the equation by placating her partner. This is what often happens. And this is why the circle works so well for her emotional abuser. He knows the exact Bible verses that are going to make her feel guilty. He knows that his lack of affection will make her feel lonely. He knows that his well-selected accusations will make her feel shame. 
And all these negative feelings are gonna pull her back into the circle like strong magnets. And round and round they will continue to spin. Or, number two, she can do this. Implement an enforceable consequence. So here's an example. She tells him that if he continues to berate her or give her the silent treatment, that she will take something that he likes, something that she provides to make his life beautiful, away from him. This makes me think of the song by Taylor Swift, Nice Things. This is why we can't have nice things. You got to listen to that song. If you have not heard that yet, it's pretty fun. So in this case, she opens up her own checking account and has her paycheck direct deposited into that account. You know, she wanted to work together with her partner, but he wasn't interested in that. So now she has to make the adult decision to take responsibility for her own income. She gets herself off of his credit card accounts and opens up her own credit card account and begins to build her own credit rating. Here's another example. She might make a decision not to sleep with him until he has some time to think about what it means to respect her as a separate person from him. She tells him that if he is unwilling to be emotionally safe with her, she won't be able to give herself to him in that intimate way. Hey, she's learning how to adult. Here's the predictable thing number two. The emotional abuser is going to pull a two-facer. Now, this is a confusing stunt for the target, and here's how it goes down. He senses her pulling away and becoming more independent, plus he likes the free sex, so he may feign an apology. But on the other hand, he also shames her for pulling away and not giving him his marital due. Now, this may be in the form of texts or maybe a letter that contains both apologies and shaming. These communications are usually somewhat incoherent, so don't be surprised if you're not quite sure exactly what they're attempting to say. He may verbalize an accusatory apology like, well, I'm sorry that you thought I was trying to control you. But a few minutes later, he may passive-aggressively comment on how he never gets to buy a new shirt because he sacrifices so much for the good of the family. Or, oh, he's now tempted to watch porn again because he's got needs that she isn't meeting. His abuse will get more covert and less obvious. It will be more passive-aggressive. He's pig-biting mad, but he wants to make it appear that she is the naughty little selfish girl well, he is the uber-nice victim. It will become much harder to pin down the abuse, but thank goodness for books like The Verbally Abusive Relationship. That's going to help the real target spot all of the subtle tactics. The abuse target has one of two choices here. First of all, she could slink back into the circle of abuse with her tail between her legs, feeling horribly guilty and sad for her rebellious, selfish, and unloving ways, or, number two, she can do this. Hold steady. Hold it. Hold it. She can sit with the uncomfortable feelings of false guilt and shame and instead be curious about why she feels guilty in the first place. I would recommend that she talk with her therapist about what it is inside of her that requires her partner's approval. 
She can learn to tolerate her partner's covert disapproval. She can refuse to accept his half-assed apologies that really aren't apologies at all. Now, he's not going to like this. He thinks he's Mr. Big Humble Mac with a side of perfect fries and awesome sauce. Who does his little woman think she is to question his authenticity, especially after all he's done for her over the years? Hold it. Hold steady. Because here's predictable thing number three. I call this the hoop jumper. Often at this point, the abuse target reaches out to her church or maybe her small group for some help. She needs some support. He's making things at home even more uncomfortable as she ramps up the boundaries and the subsequent consequences. When she brings in some outside help, this is where the emotional abuser gets all wily and smiley. I call this the the hoop jumper because now he's going to grab this opportunity to demonstrate just how amazeballs he is while quietly throwing her under the bus in the process. It's actually pretty ingenious. This is when he's going to tell you that he's going to go get some counseling. Now, he'd never go before on his own, but now that other folks are watching, he is up for the performance of his life. To everyone, including the abuse target, it appears that there is hope. He's willing to get help. Hallelujah and praise the Lord. It's a Christmas miracle. Okay, the abuse target has one of two choices here. Number one, she can back off, believing that this is just a matter of time before he's a changed man. This is what she wants, so it's easy to want to go to this place. She can even give a bunch of concessions out of her extreme relief and gratefulness that he's finally getting help. If they do marriage counseling together, which, by the way, I don't recommend, she can confess all of her sins to her husband and counselor in hopes that he will follow her example and confess all of his. Yeah, this doesn't usually work. Your vulnerability is going to be used against you in the very near future. I guarantee it. Or, number two, she can do this. WWW. Wait, watch, and wisdom. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith in destructive relationships called Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. And new for 2020, I've created a companion workbook for Is It Me? also available on Amazon. This workbook is like 11 power-packed therapy sessions to help you process through the important material you'll be learning from my book. These books are recommended by counselors and therapists all over the United States. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first chapter of my book and the first chapter of my companion workbook for free when you hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those two resources are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. And now, let's get back to our episode. She doesn't assume he's going to change just because the outside pressure is on. 
because she understands that real change comes from the inside as a result of the Holy Spirit indwelling a person and convicting that person in a real, deep, and authentic way. She knows that going through hoops is just part of the abuser's game to get allies and break her down further. He wants revenge, and he knows how he can get it, which is exactly what he does next. This is predictable thing number four, and I call this the big sneak. His abuse becomes even more covert. You guys, now he's putting on a show. So he becomes Mr. Great Dad, Mr. Giver, Mr. Showing Up, Mr. Bible Reader, Mr. Prayer Warrior, Mr. Guy Smiley in the eyes of everyone else, except the target. Behind closed doors, he is still blaming her, shaming her, denying responsibility, mutualizing all the marriage problems, insisting on his innocence and goodness, and doing all he can to break her down spiritually and emotionally in the most covert ways possible. If she tries to explain these subtle tactics to those on the outside, they look at her like she's crazy. Here he is appearing to be doing fabulous to them. What is her problem? Is she unforgiving? Is she bitter? She has high expectations. Is she ungrateful? Maybe she has Jezebel syndrome. Maybe she has borderline personality disorder. Whatever it is, she is the sinner now. His sneakiness pays off. He successfully pulls the wool over many eyes. The abuse target has one of two choices here. Number one, she can go back to the abuse cycle, feeling that she has no strength to fight not only him now, but everyone else as well. Or number two, she can make this happen. The adult shows up. This is when the abuse target begins to show up as an adult in the situation. She senses everything slipping away, and she makes the decision to go for all or nothing. This empowers her to establish even more powerful consequences in a last attempt to demonstrate the seriousness of this issue. It's here that she will often choose to separate from him. She's now ready to take her last stand, finally accepting the fact that she cannot control her abusive partner and his flying monkeys but she can control her own choices and what she will or will not put up with from here on out. This causes predictable thing number five. The bully shows up. The emotional abuser now lets his anger rip. He no longer tries to make her believe that he's changed. He begins to experiment with a smear campaign, gathering as much ammo as possible from her journals, the intimate things she has shared with him, the sins that she has confessed in the counseling office, and all of her emotional triggers that he has historically used to manipulate her. And he starts to spread stories made up of all these different parts. They're sort of true, but definitely twisted out of context. These stories are crafted to make her appear to be emotionally unstable, unspiritual, unforgiving, and, well, bitchy. 
He flings sandbox sand and toys every which way in his all-out attempt to wreak havoc on her for daring to separate from him and humiliate him. Now, the abuse target at this point almost never goes back. Instead, she instigates the explosion. She files for divorce. And now the you-know-what really hits the fan. The emotional abuser has actually been prepping for this moment, and he launches predictable thing number six, the smear campaign. All right, this is more than just saying a few bad things about her to the folks at church. This is his all-out attempt to actually turn her children, her family, her friends, her counselor, her pastors, and her everyone she ever knew against her. If she goes to a conservative church that preaches men are amazeballs, authorities, and heads over women, twisting scripture to suit them, this is where she gets to be church disciplined for not keeping quiet and submissive under oppression. And by the way, I recommend the book Fraudulent Authority by Wade, uh, by Wade Burleson if you're going through this. Now that she is escaping his controlling clutch, he's got one goal. Destroy her. Ruin her financially. Ruin her reputation. Ruin her children's emotional health. Ruin her health with his fear-mongering during this divorce process. Fire, fire, fire. Ladies, this is the crucible in which this person, this woman, will die and then be reborn. This is the worst part. This is the climax or the final battle. But this is also where the really good stuff happens. This is the great transformation She actually does get help at this point, often not from her Christian community, but from the secular community. There is also a wonderful community of Christian women in the Flying Free Sisterhood group. You can find out more information about this group by going to joinflyingfree.com. She begins to get some counseling and heal. Now she recognizes dysfunctional people more easily. She begins to navigate her new relationships as a healthy woman. She grieves, and then she gets to the place where she accepts the losses that she's endured, and she becomes a stronger and wiser woman. Her relationship with God heals. She learns that he is not abusive like her pastors or her former husband. She discovers the true God, Jesus Christ who is her true shepherd. As time goes by, she gets healthier and healthier. She finds joy and meaning in a new career. Her children often get counseling and also recover and learn relationship skills that will serve them well into adulthood. The abuse target is no longer a target. She has moved forward into her new life. But the abuser... Well, this is predictable thing number seven, and we call this the switcheroo. He moves on as well, on to his next target. He hasn't learned anything new about himself or about relationships. He's perfect just the way he is, and now he's going to show his next target just how amazeballs he is. So those, my friends, are the seven predictable things your abuser will do if you decide to make a break from the cycle of abuse. Now, these might not be in that exact order. Everyone's situation is different, but 
This is the pattern that I've seen over and over and over again in the lives of the women I've talked to. And of course, it happened to me as well. There is life after emotional and spiritual abuse, I promise. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. Do you know what that word abundance means? It means to the full until it overflows. I'd love for you to check out the Flying Free Sisterhood community. It's closed. It opens up every three or four months. But you can get on the waiting list at joinflyingfree.com and find out the next time it opens up. You can also read all about it and find out exactly how joining is going to benefit your spiritual and emotional health. And that's all I have for you today. Thanks for listening and fly free.